Good morning everyone. I wonder how you're feeling today. Have you had a good week doing something you enjoy? Or perhaps you've been wishing you could get out and meet up with friends over a cup of tea and a piece of cake. I'm missing the camaraderie of my work colleagues, the face-to-face -face interaction. Now there are just voices coming at me through my computer. It's just not the same and reminds me of what it says on a mug that we have on our kitchen windowsill. It's a picture of Daniel in the lion's den and the words on the back says and you think you're having a bad day. I really wish that I'd taken it to work now. The conversations that I might have had. Daniel finds himself in that lion's den because of the tough situation that he's got into when he stood up for his faith. So how did all this come about? Let's take a look. In chapter one of the book of Daniel, we read that Daniel and his three companions were of royal or noble status, and they had been selected to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who had besieged Jerusalem and won. They were to be trained for three years before they entered the service of the king, so that they understood his language and customs. They were also given new names. Daniel became Belshazzar, Hananiah was Shadrach, Mishael became Meshach and Azariah was renamed Abednego. Now these four were faithful to God and so they did not want to defile themselves by eating the food and wine that the king provided so they became vegetarians. Actually this was the first instance of them standing up for their faith they did not want to compromise their own spiritual habits by eating what was considered unclean and not praying as they should. The book goes on in chapter 3 with the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refusing to worship the golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar or any of his other gods. They were determined to be faithful to God. They were not going to be pressured into denying him but remain faithful regardless of what might happen. They knew that it was their faith and relationship with God that had helped them together in this new regime and had helped them serve those around them and so their relationship with God was at the centre of their lives. And we read on. We find that God sent his angel to be with them and save them from the flames of the fiery furnace in which they were thrown for their disobedience. This amazed Nebuchadnezzar, who, in his rage, had ordered the furnace to be seven times hotter than usual. Obviously, this was a punishment that had been used before. In fact, he was so amazed that he commanded that his people would not, would not speak against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, for no other god could save in that way. Even though King Nebuchadnezzar praised Daniel's God, he still not to believe in him or submit to him. And one night he has a disturbing dream and asks Daniel to interpret for him because you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Chapter 4 verse 18 Daniel shares with the king that the dream is about the downfall of Nebuchadnezzar because of his pride. 
Nebuchadnezzar is, however, given the chance to avoid this fall by simply renouncing his sins and changing his ways. God, being our generous God, gave him 12 months in which to change. But guess what? There was no repentance by this proud king, and so the dream was fulfilled. Chapter 4, verse 33. He was driven away from people and ate like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails the claws of a bird. There is a happy ending though as after some time Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself as he learns to praise God and recognise his majesty. King Nebuchadnezzar Sorry, King Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, is the next king that Daniel and the others serve. His reign didn't last that long because he also set himself up as higher than God. During a grand banquet held for a thousand of his nobles, drinking wine from gold and silver goblets that had been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, the finger of a human hand appears and writes on the plaster of the wall. Mini, mini, tekel, parsin. This is all in chapter 5. It was a message to Belshazzar because he had defied God and was corrupt. And again, Daniel is the interpreter. Mini, this means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, note that you have been weighed and the scales are found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is to be divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And sure enough, mysteriously, King Belshazzar was slain that night. Chapter 5 verse 31 enters King Darius the Mede onto our stage and he brings us to our reading today. Darius decides to appoint 120 satraps to look after his kingdom. A satrap collects taxes and was the supreme judicial authority. He was responsible for internal security and raised and maintained an army. However, to guard against abuse of power, Darius instituted a system of control over the satraps with three administrators. Daniel was appointed as one of these administrators, so had a powerful position, but he was still obedient to God. Although he worked efficiently and diligently for his pagan master, he still made some enemies. Because Daniel always did the best he possibly could do, King Darius wanted to put him in charge over the whole kingdom. As you can imagine, this did not please the other two administrators, nor the 120 satraps, and so they all set about tricking the king into getting rid of Daniel. They succeeded in their trickery and Darius, due to his personal vanity, made a decree that only he should be worshipped for the next 30 days and anyone who did not would be thrown to the lions. The administrators succeeded in the supposed downfall of Daniel by attacking his belief rather than his work. Daniel knew about this worship decree but he was committed to his God and because he had a disciplined prayer life, he continued to pray three times a day to God. Nothing was going to distract him 
not even the decree of the king. This makes me wonder, do you and I have such a disciplined prayer life, once, twice a day? Do we allow distractions or interruptions or pressures from outside our control stop us from praying? We should pray regularly, no matter what, for prayer is our lifeline to God. Daniel continued to pray because he knew that he could not get guidance from the king in order to carry out his tasks. Only God could provide what he really needed. At the point where Daniel is about to be put into the lion's den, verses 14 to 16, King Darius acknowledges that Daniel serves his God continually. Even when the going has got tough, nothing has distracted him from what or who he believes in. It's a powerful testimony to those around him, especially the king. Perhaps we need to be faithful to God so he can use us to make an impact on others around us. Someone in more recent times who has acknowledged that prayer is the single most important thing that we as Christians can do is Pete Gregg. Way back in 1999, he and a group of like-minded people met in a warehouse in the south of England to start a prayer group. Nothing very unusual about that, you say. So why did they do it? Well, as Pete puts it, one, prayer's pretty much the heart of everything else in the Christian life, and two, we were really, really bad at it. Surprisingly, many young people flocked to that first prayer room even at night, they prayed with words, graffiti and weird music. But God seemed to like it a lot there. Even atheists said they could feel his presence. Then one day, the whole thing went viral with the vision. The vision, a poem scribbled on the prayer room wall, suddenly seemed to take on a life of its own. It was shared around the world. Within weeks, the vision had reached 100,000 underground churches in China, 400,000 young people in Washington, D.C. It had been choreographed in Spain and remixed by DJs from Sweden to New York. From that first prayer room, more than 2 million people in more than 10,000 prayer rooms in most denominations and more than half the nations of the earth have been touched. And today they are still praying, non-stop, night and day, from the slums of Delhi to a brewery in Missouri, and in churches and cathedrals too. Along the way, this accidental movement of prayer, mission and justice has attracted media attention, from the Rolling Stones to the Reader's Digest, and it's incubated new initiatives like prayer spaces in schools, order of the mustard seed, the prayer course and boiler rooms, a growing global network of prayerful missional communities committed to spiritual formation and social transformation. You can read more about this story in Red Moon Rising and Dirty Glory, both books by Pete Gregg. The international 24-7 prayer movement all started by accident because someone felt they were really, really bad at it. 
but they knew they had to do. They had to stand up for their faith, regardless of what everyone else was doing, and even though they felt they were no good. So a question, how are we standing up for our faith, regardless? Daniel and Pete both started with prayer, listening and talking with God. For both of them, it was, is, what carries us through this life, no matter how tough it might seem. I am challenged by this. I am ensuring that I am standing up for my faith. Am I asking God to help me to, to do this today in my 21st century life? In these tricky times of 2020? Will I take my Daniel mug into the office when I go back there so I can have some of those conversations? What about you? What might you do? Perhaps as a church we could create our own version of a 24-7 prayer space. Maybe as individuals we just need to make more space for prayer. What do you think?